My name's Claire Saffitz. I am a cookbook author. I've written two cookbooks and I'm a YouTube host. And I also was formerly senior food editor at Bon Appetit. One thing people don't know about me is I'm extremely good at home improvement. Like I'm so handy and I mostly just watch a lot of YouTube videos. So a couple of years ago, my husband and I bought this cabin in the Hudson Valley that you know hadn't been touched in 30 years and I've become like a serious DIYer. So if you need any sheetrock installed or a doorknob changed or a light fixture switched out, give me a call. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that turns to chefs and home cooks with a big question in mind. What is their one? That recipe that reminds them they can never have too much of a good thing. This week, we're celebrating our sweet tooth with Claire Saffitz. Claire's a viral sensation known for her cooking videos on her YouTube channel and in the test kitchen at Bon Appetit. She's the author of two cookbooks, Dessert Person and What's for Dessert?, At her core, she's a passionate advocate for baking who just wants to remind you that you can make beautiful and easy desserts, too. But I won't spoil your appetite. Let's get into it. (laughs) Claire, hello. Jesse, hi. Long time no see. I know. It's been forever. I feel like this is the first time I've actually been able to lay virtual eyes on you. Yep. We used to work together, and since then, it's been a joy to see your books and all of your projects really take off. But for people who haven't been along for the ride, when did you really start pursuing culinary work, like, professionally? Yeah. I was doing an interview just about a half an hour ago with my alma mater, with the student newspaper, and was telling a similar story. And it's a fun thing to, like, go back and kind of recap. Um, But I basically started in my mid-20s when I knew I wanted to go to culinary school. I didn't know how that was going to lead to a full career. I just really wanted the experience for the knowledge in and of itself. So I went to culinary school at the age of, like, 24, 25. And then after that, I went and pursued a graduate degree. I got a master's in history with a focus on culinary history. And at that point, I was like, I want to write. But I knew from doing a year of grad school that I really missed cooking and being in the kitchen. And so I was at that moment, I was finishing up my master's degree that it it hit me. This is so funny, Jesse. Like I had this moment where I remember like reading a food magazine and being like, well, someone has to write the recipes in in these magazines. Like, who you know, who's doing that? It had just never <laughs> occurred to me that food media, like, existed and people had jobs and, you know, wrote recipes and tested. So I pursued that and I got really lucky. I got my first job at Bon Appetit as a kind of a permalancer. I was a recipe tester in the test kitchen. And then from there, I was at Bon Appetit for five years and worked my way up from tester to assistant food editor to you know, all the different levels, like associate and then senior um, for five years. (laughs) Pastry overlord. (laughs) Right, right. And then I left and went freelance in 2018. And that's when I started to pursue cookbook writing. And so now I have two books under my belt. So I've been doing that for the last, you know, several years. I feel like a lot of people kind of take for granted some of the specializations and all of the knowledge it takes to be a really great recipe developer and tester. There's so much fine-tuning, which is also why so many people get so intimidated by baking. Can you kind of recommend some recipes for people who may be a little bit shy with their baking? So, So yes, there is sort of a minimum level of precision when it comes to baking. But beyond that, there is so much more, I think, flexibility and creativity than people give it credit for. And that's what I want to sort of encourage people to know and to explore as they're trying to become better home bakers. But at the same time, there are some foolproof recipes that 
I think almost no one could possibly mess up. One of my favorite recipes of all time is in Dessert Person, and it is a poppy seed almond cake. And that was it's my mom's recipe. I mean, she's been making it my entire life, so it's like, you know, over. 36 years plus. But her recipe, it's on a handwritten note card and the instructions are put everything in a bowl and mix. So, and it comes up perfect every time. <laughs> so for the, for people who are incredibly intimidated by baking, I always recommend that one because there is no easier recipe than that. So start there and kind of work your way up. Baking is you know, for me, it's a lifelong pursuit. I do think it takes a lot of practice to be good at it, but that doesn't mean that you can't start with you know, no knowledge or experience and still have success because you can. I I love that so much. Also, that poppy seed cake is phenomenal. <laughs> I've made it. I've made it a lot of times. <laughs> so I'm assuming your one recipe is going to be sweet. Yes. My one recipe is definitely a sweet recipe. This is from my second book, What's for Dessert? And it is a choose-your-own-ending creme caramel or creme brulee. So a very basic baked custard it's done in a water bath. It, you know, there's like a, only a handful of ingredients, but you can either turn it into creme brulee, where you create this torched, crackly, you know, hard sugar top, or you cook some caramel at the beginning. You put it in the bottom of the ramekin, you bake it, and it turns into a kind of caramel sauce that you invert, and it, you know, bathes the entire custard in this kind of liquid caramel. So I just love this recipe because, to me, it embodies what I think is phenomenal about baking, which is that, you know, you can transform just a couple of ingredients into something that is completely almost transcendent. You know, it's just so incredibly delicious and it's sort of simple and straightforward, yet there's a lot of technique involved. So these are kinds of my favorite recipes to make. And I think that there's nothing I love eating more than custard because like I love, I love eggs and I love dairy. So it's just so good. A perfect combination, always going to work out well, even when it doesn't. <laughs> but before we get further along, I need to ask you about two infamous words that are already sending shivers down people's <laughs> spines. Water bath. What is a water bath? Why is it necessary? Yeah. And why do we all get so worked up over that? I get it. I get <laughs> the kind of anxiety or agita around a water bath. I think for most people, if they've done it at all, they've probably done it for a cheesecake mm -hmm. is my guess. But anyway, for anyone that's not familiar, a water bath is where you bake whatever it is you're baking. And it's usually a custard, usually something with lots of eggs in it. You bake it in a vessel set inside of a larger vessel. And in that larger vessel, you pour in boiling water and it surrounds the inner vessel and the water is there to basically regulate the temperature inside the oven. So it is basically a way to promote even gentle baking. See, you make it sound like a spa day. <laughs> I've had water bath issues in the past. It's really just about kind of making sure you have the right setup. There's some really easy tips that you can do to just make sure that it's like really seamless and and nothing nothing scary or or difficult. We've talked a lot about the recipe, but can you actually walk me through the steps? Okay, so for the first step in making the actual custard base, you are going to warm up your dairy. So this is like a very common first step for any custard. So in this case, it's half and half. I like half and half because I like the extra richness that you get from the cream. So you have that additional amount of dairy fat. And while you're warming it up, you're also going to infuse it with flavor. So in this case, it's a vanilla bean. 
It's not just about infusing the dairy with flavor, though. It's also about bringing it up to temperature so that when they're when they're in, going to the oven, they're already warm. If you don't start with a warm base, mm-hmm. it's just going to take forever for them to bake. So it does serve sort of two purposes. The next step is a technique that will be familiar to anyone that's also ever made a custard in the past, and that is called blanching and tempering your eggs. And that is where you mix your eggs with sugar and you whisk them together really, really vigorously. And what happens is some of that sugar starts to dissolve and the egg thickens and you work air into it and it becomes this super like light, pale, thick, ribbony mixture. I love that kind of transformation that happens. And then tempering is a step where you take the warm dairy base that you have, so you're half and half, and you slowly stream it into your eggs while whisking constantly. And that is just to sort of slowly bring up the temperature of the eggs. Because if you were to pour Mm -hmm. that really hot dairy into the eggs, you might end up scrambling and cooking bits of egg. And then that's going to mar the smooth, like silky texture of your custard. So these are like fundamental pastry techniques, but they're really quite simple and easy. And I think it probably takes, you know, 15 minutes at most to make your custard base. And most of that is just having the dairy sort of heat up. So once you pour all that dairy in, that is your custard base. And then you basically just strain it into your ramekins. Just to remove any sort of solids that are going to get in the way of your super silky smooth custard. I love it. It sounds so easy, so straightforward. So what temperature are we baking those at? So you're actually baking this at a pretty low temperature at 300. And that Mm -hmm. is because you want them to bake slowly. You have a little bit of more of a window of doneness. So what are your tips for the actual cooking? Yes. So... You strain your custard, you pour it into your ramekins. You're going to cover them. So I cover each one individually with foil. I actually poke a couple of holes, just like a toothpick or the tip of a paring knife in the in the top of the foil mm-hmm. to allow steam to escape. Okay, so everything, the ramekins are covered. They go into your big roasting pan or baking dish, whatever is large enough to fit them. So while this is happening, you want to be bringing up your water for the water bath, whether that's in an electric kettle or on the stove. So once that water is boiling, you are going to take your ramekins that are already in your big vessel for the water bath, and you're going to pull out the middle rack of the oven. You're going to tr- carefully transfer that empty, I mean, no water, but you know, the, with the ramekins, that empty roasting pan onto the rack, mm-hmm. and then pour your water from the kettle into your roasting pan while it's resting on the oven rack. And that is just because I think it's probably not a great idea to take this big half full roasting pan, you know, (laughs) half filled with boiling water and transfer it because it can kind of slosh around. And that's another thing I should mention. You're going to only pour it into the roasting pan until it comes about halfway up the sides of the ramekins. There's just no need to, to pour any any more than that. So how we got here is we started warming our dairy. We added in our flavorings. This time we're using vanilla bean pods. You know, some people may use paste or just straight up extract if they have it. Once that's warmed up, we're pouring it into the eggs very gently as we're just kind of mixing them to help them come up to temperature. And then we're pouring them into the ramekins, covering those with foil using our friendly little toothpick just to poke a hole to vent. And then after that, into the pan or whatever vessel we're using for the water bath, toss it in the oven, and then pour in our water. What are the last steps there? So they go into the oven, 
And how long they take is really dependent on your oven, the kind of size of your ramekins, the temperature of the custard before it went in. So there's some variability mm-hmm. there. I would, it's probably going to take you between 25 and 30 minutes, basically. So what I like to do is take a pair of tongs. I open the oven door, you know, around that 25-minute mark, and I lift up just a little mm-hmm. bit of foil off of one of the cups, and I use the tongs to gently kind of shake the ramekin back and forth. And what you're looking for is a bit of a wobble where you can tell that it's not solid in the center. So there, you know, the whole thing kind of mm-hmm. moves, but you're not looking for fine rippling. Like if you throw a stone in a pond and you see the ripples that come out, because that means it's still really, really liquid. A kind of slow wobble okay. means you're almost done in the center and they're ready to come out because there is some carryover that happens after they're out of the oven. They will continue to set. Anyway, so that's your point of awesome. doneness. You're going to take them out of the oven. I like to let them rest mm-hmm. in the water bath for a few minutes, and then I transfer the ramekins using like a spatula or a pair of tongs or both to a wire rack to then sort of slowly come up to room temp. And then you're done. Your custards have set. You're on top of the world. So can you quickly kind of walk us through the different flavoring options that you have set up? So you can just serve them as is. And what you basically have is called a, a pot de creme, like a little pot of cream basically is, is the French. Or you can turn it into creme caramel or creme brulee. So I like to finish them creme brulee style with that hard cracked sugar on top. But if you want to make a creme caramel, this is actually a step you do before you start to make that custard base. So what you will do mm-hmm. is you're going to cook a caramel on your stovetop. That's just sugar and a little bit of water. And it does require a little bit of patience because, you know, it takes a little bit of time for that caramel to start to take on color and turn this beautiful dark amber. Totally. And you're going to take that caramel and you're going to pour it into the bottom of the ramekins. You bake it, you invert, and it, you know, bathes the entire custard in this kind of liquid caramel. So I just love this recipe because... There's tons of flexibility. <laughs> Something for everyone. Claire, Claire, you're you're too good to <laughs> us. You're you're out here spoiling us again. Baking is flexible. It's like there's you know so many options. You can really customize it however you want, and all you have to do is keep in mind the techniques, and you'll be golden. So that's it. See, just do what Claire said, and everything will be. <laughs> that's great. what I tell my husband. Like, this is the life advice we all need. That's what I say. Listen to Claire. <laughs> exactly. Right. But Claire, thank you so much for making time. It's been so great to catch up. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Call me anytime. This has been so much fun. Claire Saffitz is a cookbook author and video host. You can find her recipe for her Choose Your Own Ending Custards on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. And hey, if you liked what you heard, don't forget to like the episode and share it with a friend. It means the world. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. <laughs>